some people tell me, like they'll say, oh, well, the, the positioning drives the strategy. And I don't agree with that at all. Like, I actually think that's the tail wagon. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. Like, I think there's positioning. It evolves over time. And there's strategy. That's something totally different. That's the roadmap of the positions we're going to evolve through on the way to get into our vision. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're having a great week and enjoying your springtime. When depending on where you live, it's either going well or not well weather-wise. My <laughs> guest today is April Dunford, and she helps B2B tech companies really fine-tune and establish their positioning. And we're going to talk more about what that means to improve their marketing and sales performance. And she's got a whole methodology that she can share with us. She's an author. She's written some books. She's a speaker. If you're listening, you may have even had the opportunity to hear her speak, as I have. She's a great speaker. April, welcome to the show. So great to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah. How are you? Good. 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 Where are you joining us from? Uh, I'm in Toronto, lovely Toronto. Boy, we seem to be getting Canadians lately. We just had one from, uh, I forget exactly where he was, but Kevin Brady was on the show, and he's a professor at Carleton, and we had another one recently. the Canadians. They're all over the place. You don't even know it. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Well, you do a great job. So, uh, (laughs) you know, you are the go-to person for positioning. If, if, if you ask what's positioning or, or who should you talk to, your name always comes up. But let's start with what is positioning? Yeah. So positioning is funny being the positioning lady because, you know, a lot of people yeah. don't even understand what that is. <laughs> so people will say, well, what's positioning? Positioning is messaging. And I'd be like, eh, no, actually, like it's an input to messaging, but it's not the same as messaging. Or they'll say, oh, positioning is like, the one that really bugs me is when people talk about brand positioning, because I feel like there's branding and there's positioning, but those two things are actually really separate. So in my world, positioning defines how your product is the best in the world at delivering something, some value that a well-defined set of customers cares a lot about. So that's a bit of a mouthful. I like to kind of think of it as like context setting for products. So how do we contextualize a product such that its value is kind of obvious to the people we're trying to sell to? Yeah, that's pretty neat. Um, we're in the life cycle of a product, right? From idea to eventual realization in the market, where do you set that positioning? It's a good question. So I get a lot of calls from really, really early stage companies that are still in the ideation phase. And they're like, look, April, we need to really, really nail this positioning. and Here's the way I think about it. When you're coming up with the idea for your product, you're out and you're doing customer interviews and you're talking to people. And what you end up with, hopefully, at the end of that customer discovery phase is what I would call a positioning thesis. And so the thesis says, you know what? I think this is who we compete with. And this is how our product is going to be different. And therefore, here's the value we're going to deliver that no one else can. And these are the kind of customers that really care a lot about that value. Therefore, this is the market we're going to win. Right. But before you've launched it, you actually have as a positioning thesis. And, And in my experience, having launched a lot of products, 
we're generally not entirely correct in our thesis. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So we're usually wrong somehow. Like, you know, if we're lucky, we're not totally off base, but sometimes we are. We're at least a little wrong. And so the first wave of customers we get through is really all about testing that thesis. Like, do we actually end up competing with who we think we're going to compete with? Do we, you know, do customers buy us for the value that we assume they were going to see in the product? And oh, by the way, is it the customers we expected to come and buy us that are actually buying us? And once we've had a wave of customers through, we actually understand what was right and wrong about the thesis. At that point, we've got positioning that's been kind of validated, and then we can really tighten it up and go run at it. So I think we have positioning all the way through. It's just in the early days we have positioning, but maybe it's wrong. Definitely. I think that the discipline of product management, and that's that's continuing to mature a little bit. You know, it started in software businesses. It's It's moving pretty quick into physical product businesses. But one of the mantras is is the North Star, right? When you think about your product, you've got to have your North Star. And when I think about the positioning or the positioning thesis, right, that sets, at least in the early days, it sets your North Star, doesn't it? Well, it's interesting. Like one of the things about positioning is that it generally changes over time. Yeah. So, you know, the way it works in tech companies in particular is generally we have like the vision and the vision is the thing we sold to the VCs that said, you know what, 10 years from now, we're going to be this all singing, all dancing thing. It's yeah. going to be incredible. And that's why you should invest in us. You know, we're going to make billions of dollars together. It's going to be great. But that's not usually what you got right now. You're right. <laughs> like what you have right now is some other thing. And <laughs> positioning, in my opinion, is how we do the best possible job of telling the story with the product we have right now in the market we're in right now, why should a customer pick us over the other guys? Now we might have a strategy that says, you know, today we're just going to sell to bankers and we're going to dominate that market. But then later we're going to try to sell to insurance companies and then we're going to kind of dominate financial services. And then later we're going to sell to everybody. Yeah. And that vision, you know, is the thing we sold the VCs, but our, our positioning today might not be at all what we plan for it to be a year from now or two years from now. So the hard part about product management here is product management needs to understand the vision. They need to understand the strategy of how we're going to get from here to where the vision is, but they can't lose sight of the idea that at every step in that journey, we got to be able to sell stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I can only sell what's on the truck, man. <laughs> and so yeah. the positioning is how do we tell that story of why pick us over all the other things, you know, with the thing we've got right now yeah. in the market right now. And for some product managers, that's difficult because they've always got the next, the next, the next thing. They're, they're, they've got to drive the organization to think to the next right. where it's going. But you're right. That doesn't help you compete in the market because you don't have that yet. That's right. I can't. No customer is going to spend today's dollars for tomorrow's promises. Like <laughs> yeah. we have to be able to show that we can provide value that in some way is for some customers is better than what anybody else can do. Otherwise, nobody's going to pick us right now. Yeah. Yeah. When we use the term product, April, what what type of products are we talking? Are they tech products or are they other type of products as well? Well, I think you can position anything like for, for my work, I'm really focused on tech products and even more specific than that. I'm really focused on B2B 
And not only that, like I really mainly work with companies that do B2B where it's a highly considered purchase and therefore there is a salesperson involved Mm -hmm. somewhere along the way. Part of the reason why I'm focused there is because I think that's where positioning matters the most. These are the types of deals where a customer is being very thoughtful about a decision. They're doing their homework. They're making a short list. And you have to be very articulate and clear about how you're different than the other options and why they should pick you and what the value is that you're going to be able to deliver that no one else can. Like if it's an unconsidered purchase, like, you know, I'm buying gum (laughs) or like a pencil. Right, right. (laughs) The positioning matters a little bit less, I would say. And in some instances, I think the thing that really matters is actually distribution or placement. Like, are you, are you there on the yeah, shelf at the right. moment when the person is looking for pencils? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, but when we talk about a, a highly considered B2B purchase, I think positioning is, it's really important to nail it. And it's very hard to be successful in that area with kind of weak positioning. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you think about that that B2B space, I mean, tech could be I'm selling a $50,000 offering, value offering, or I'm selling a 2 million value offering, right? That's right. Is there any along that scale? How does positioning sort of differ or does it differ? I don't think it actually changes a lot. I think that a lot of things change in the sales motion. Like, you know, I worked at IBM at one point and the product I was working at, like our average deal size was like 10 million bucks. (laughs) And so (laughs) the way you sell a product like that, you know, that deal doesn't get done in a couple of months. That's right. right. So, So that's a deal where we really have to establish the need for the thing. We really have to establish the value. We have a lot of stakeholders involved in getting the deal done. We would expect the deal to take a minimum a year usually for a deal that size and there would be a lot of stakeholders involved but you know what if i look at what we have to do to get a deal done that's 20k or 30k or 50k it's not that much different like the deal is going to get done faster there might be fewer stakeholders involved but there's still going to be five or six people involved that are different than the, the champion of the deal that is trying to make the recommendation for what to buy Uh, And they're still making a short list. They're not just buying the first thing that comes across their path or, you know, I'm going to pick that one because it's the red one. (laughs) So they're still doing their due diligence. They're still making a short list. They're still having to get agreement across a buying committee. So it's the same. It's just you get it done faster. Yeah. So let's just say we're going to buy a solution and one company comes to us with really good positioning, and we still need to explore how you get that. And another one comes with less positioning. I mean, I play that scenario out. What does that, uh, what does that mean to a buyer? Well, so weak positioning manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Like one of the ways it manifests itself is people can't quite figure out what you are. And so yeah. when you have that, what you'll see is, it's hard to get on a short list yeah, <laughs> because people yeah. are trying, trying to figure out like I'm buying a CRM and I need a short list, three CRMs. And I'm not sure whether you're a CRM or not. So you don't make the list. So, so that's the first thing. Or even worse, sometimes you get on the list, but it's the wrong list. Yes. This I know. <laughs> They're putting I you know. on the list for CRMs and you ain't a CRM, man. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's bad too. Yeah. 
like th this is the, the the thing about positioning like weak positioning manifests itself across the whole the whole deal pipeline yeah in your marketing people are like i don't get it i don't know what's going on here they're not interacting with your with your content or the wrong people are interacting yeah, with your content right. you don't make the short list or you make the wrong short list sometimes you'll get you'll see organizations where the sales team's hot and they're good at closing everybody, but they're closing people, and the, you know, and then the people are using the thing, going, "Wait, this isn't the, this isn't That's what it. I needed." Oh, <laughs> and then I have this churn because I bought a thing that didn't actually match up to, you know, what I thought I was buying or what I thought I needed. Yeah. So weak position kind of gets you across the whole spectrum. Like it isn't just one thing; it's like a thousand things. And all you know is that everything feels really hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, why is this so hard? Whereas when your positioning is really clicking and it's really clear, then, you know, what you have is the right people are interacting with your marketing. The right people are showing up in your sales calls and they're showing up and they get what you are already. You know, they're showing up and they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. I get what it is already. Just tell me what it costs. Yeah. <laughs> like, why, like, why are we even having this Yeah, right, call? right, right. Yeah. You know, and then they, you know, and then they get exactly what they expected to get and they don't turn on you as much. And so it feels a bit like we're rolling down the hill here. Everything's so yeah, easy. much better, <laughs> much better. I'll take one of those. <laughs> right. Everybody yeah. wants one. Of yeah. Those. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, when as you're talking, I'm thinking if we had strong positioning, I think it helps us internally in our own company with our culture, with our alignment, with our, you know, that all of those pieces as well. So it's not just how we're perceived externally, but there's a value internally, isn't there? There absolutely is. And again, like the only tricky part about this is that we've got a vision and then we've got the positioning right now. And so we got to manage internally the changes that are going to happen as that positioning evolves over time. Right, right. And so people internally need to understand, here's where we are, here's where we're going, and these are the steps we're going to take to get there. And so when, when you think about storytelling in a business, I think we have lots of different stories that we tell. And so I think we have a story that we tell to the VCs, which is very focused on the vision. And I think we have a story that we tell the customers, which is very focused on why pick us over the other guys yeah. right now. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's this internal story, which is, you know, about the strategy that takes us from A to B. And so internally, I think people need to really understand that. It's very helpful for everyone internally to really understand here's why and where we win today. But I think it's also important for people to understand, well, here's where we're going in the future and here's how we're going to get there. Yeah. Great points. Great points. You're, you're just, when we say we're going to nail positioning, this is all part of it. So this is a fun discussion. Yeah. So, well, you know what? Like some people tell me, like they'll say, oh, well, the, the positioning drives the strategy. And I don't agree with that at all. Like, I actually think that's the tail wagon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, I think there's positioning, it evolves over time. And there's strategy, that's something totally different. That's the roadmap of the positions we're going to evolve through on the way to get into our vision. Yeah, yeah. And then the, then the positioning can support that, right? So in the, that's right. In, in the strategy, there's a business model, right? And then the positioning has to bring make that business model real, I would think. Yeah. Well, okay. So we're talking about what it is. How do you do it? What's involved in creating great positioning? Yeah. Well, this is this is my area of focus for a bunch of reasons. So when I was really early in my marketing career, 
I did some positioning work and uh, I was super frustrated because there didn't seem to be an accepted methodology for doing positioning. So yeah. we talked about it. It was this fundamental thing. We really got to nail our positioning. But when you went and read all the books and took the courses and everything else, like nobody had a methodology, like how do I actually get it done? And so that frustrated me a lot. And so over time, I kind of developed my own way of, of getting this done. And, and here's how I did it. So I started out by looking at, well, could we take positioning and break it down into component pieces? And, and that actually is pretty easy because we kind of agree on what the component pieces of positioning are. And there's five things. So it's competitive alternatives. So if customer didn't use you, what would they do? Uh, the second thing is differentiated capabilities. That's capabilities of the product or capabilities of your company that the other guys don't have. The third one is differentiated value. A customer doesn't actually care about your features. They care what do the features enable for my business. And so your differentiated value is what can you deliver for a customer's business that no one else can. And then the next one is target customer segments. We're not trying to sell to everybody. We're just trying to sell to people that are really good fit for our stuff. And then the last one's market category. Like, are we a CRM or are we a messaging system? Like, yeah. are, we, are we email or are we chat? So how do we actually contextualize what we do in a way that helps customers understand it? So those are five component pieces. This isn't hard. But here's the thing. Once you break it apart into those five things, the first thing that becomes obvious is that all the pieces have a relationship to each other. So they're not independent. So if I take something like differentiated value, like the value that I can deliver that no one else can is completely dependent on what? It's completely dependent on my differentiated capabilities. Like we don't get to just make this up. It has to come from somewhere, right? Yeah, so sure. it comes from there. But then you think about it and you're like, well, differentiated capabilities are only differentiated when I compare them to an alternative. So those three things are really tied. I can't figure out one without figuring out the others. And then if I think about best fit customers, like my definition of a best fit customer is a customer that really, really cares a lot about the value that only I can deliver. So those things are related. And then the last one is market category. It's a little bit more esoteric, but my best market category is the market category I position my product in such that this value kind of makes sense to these people. So all of everything has a relationship to everything else. Where do I start? And for a long yeah. time, I wrestled with that because I thought, well, there isn't an obvious starting point. Like maybe you just work your way through the five, develop you know, candidate positioning, okay. take it out to the market. If it works, great, you use it. If it doesn't, you throw it out. But eventually where I landed on this is that we actually have to start with competitive alternatives. And the reason we have to start with competitive alternatives is if we don't, what we end up with is positioning that sounds good in the office, but it doesn't win in the market because it is insufficiently differentiated versus the other things that a customer might choose. So we actually have to say, Competitive alternatives. We start there at the stake in the ground. Once we have that, then we can say, okay, what capabilities do we have that they don't have? That gets me differentiated capabilities. I can map those capabilities to value by going down the list and saying, okay, we have this feature. So what? Why does a customer care? What does that feature enable for customers? That gets me my differentiated value. Once I have that, then I can say, well, what are the characteristics of a target account that make them really care about that value? That's going to get me my best fit customers. 
And then once I have value and best fit customers, I can say, well, look, like what's the market category that makes this value? Obviously these people. And that's how I do it. Wow. <laughs> so I think when you said the five, the five things, I think you might have just briefly said, okay, that's easy. Well, nothing about this is easy because as soon right. as you <laughs> if it was easy, they wouldn't need a positioning consultant occasionally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, there's a lot of work in here. So tell me about that positioning consultant. What are you, what are you doing there? What do you, how, how do, how do you start an engagement? Yeah. So here, so here's how it works. A lot of times, the positioning isn't that hard. Yeah. So a lot of times, companies will sort of just stumble into it. Like, it'll be like, it's obvious who we compete with, and it's obvious what value we deliver that other folks don't. And it's obvious who cares about that. And so you, you just have the position, you just run with it. It's great. But sometimes it's not. <laughs> and so sometimes yeah. what you got is something a little bit more complicated. So we have a complicated set of competitors it's not entirely clear how we express that differentiated value. And it isn't entirely clear who cares a lot about that. And then sometimes, even when we do have that, it's actually quite difficult to figure out how do we tell the story? Like in a sales situation, how do I actually tell the story? And so that's the work I do. So for the people that get stuck, and a lot of people like my book outlines, here's how I do this. Right. And a lot of people just buy my book, they run with it and it's fine. They don't need any help at all. It's, it's fine. It's easy. Yeah. But some folks work through it and they get stuck. And it's either that it's difficult to figure out the value or it's really hard to figure out, like we get the positioning, but we're not quite sure how to tell the story. And so that's when people engage with me. Gotcha. Gotcha. So your book, let's cover the book. Obviously awesome. Great title. <laughs> Thank you. It's out there. I think people can start. Apparently, uh, you would say start with the book. You should start with the book. Yeah. That's my opinion. The title. I've been meaning to ask this. Why the um, exclamation point in the middle of it? <laughs> and people are listening. You're saying, what are you talking about? But go check out the book and you'll see it. <laughs> no, no, not at all, actually. So, so, so let me tell you how this works. When I wrote the book, it's a book about positioning and I wanted to call it Positioning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great. So, unfortunately, there's already a book called Positioning that a lot of people have read. It's very famous. It's by yeah. these guys, Reese and Trout. It's been around since the '80s, so people know that book. So, I can't call my book Positioning, and a book called Positioning already exists. So, I had to come up with another title. And so, at the time, I was doing a lot of conference talks. And the conference talk was all about, you know, positioning is really important because we're trying to make sure that everybody thinks our stuff is obviously awesome. And so, <laughs> so that's where it came from, the yeah. title. And then when I went to do the book, I ended up working with a company that did the cover design and the graphics and all that stuff. And so my graphic guy came up with that thing and I was like, that looks great. Let's use that. And that's it. It's a great idea. It, it looks, it's a very catchy I cover. I leave design things to the professionals. <laughs> yeah, so I have I. an engineering background. You don't want me designing the cover, let me tell you. Not my area of expertise at all. Got it. So let's say, how would I know if I if I started? Let's say I put my, my five points together and got my positioning done. How do I know if it's good? I have opinions about this. So I think the best way to test positioning, if you're a B2B company and you have a sales team, which is all the companies I work with, what marketers will sometimes default to is they'll say, well, 
we'll just we'll do a b test on yeah. the homepage. we'll just like you know we'll have positioning one positioning two we'll a b test it and i think that's a bad way to do it for a bunch of reasons so one is that's not actually you're not actually testing positioning there you've actually taken the positioning turn it into messaging so now i'm testing messaging page layout design i'm testing my ability to drive the right traffic to that i have to get enough traffic to actually get a, a, a test that's significant and so i think that's i don't know what the results of that test would say so i think that's a bad way to do it i think a better way to do it if you're b2b and you have a sales team is to take that positioning translate it into a sales pitch and then let's test it out on qualified prospects in a sales call yeah, and so I in like a sales that. call, one, we're controlling for a lot of things. So we're controlling to make sure we got qualified prospects. So we're doing the pitch to exactly the people we should be doing it to. And then we get a lot of signal. Like we can see if the customer says, oh, you're just like Salesforce and you're nothing like Salesforce. Yes, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> you can be like, oh, that didn't work. Or <laughs> you can see where the customer is like making this face like, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, or the right. customer's getting excited. And so you can tell a lot about yeah. whether or not your positioning is working in a sales call that you can't. And so one of the things that I think is really interesting about this is, you know, when I wrote the first book, obviously awesome. At the end of the book, I said, look, like what you got to do to test this thing is you turn it into a sales pitch and you test it that way. And what I discovered after I put my book out is that the vast majority of companies that I work with don't actually know how to build a sales pitch at least build a sales pitch in a structured way to have it reflect your positioning. So a lot of what people are doing on sales calls looks more like a product walkthrough that doesn't actually give a lot of context or, or even attempt to answer the question, why pick us versus the other alternatives? And so I'm now working on book number two. This is, this is hot news, which is coming out in October. And that book is all about how to take your positioning and translate it into a sales pitch. Go ahead, ask me what it's called. Ask me what it's called. What's it called? <laughs> sales pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Because <laughs> I looked it up and yeah. this time there was no book called Super. that. And I was like, Super. good. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Own that. That's going to be awesome. Capture that. But it's going to be obviously awesome, except not. It's going to be sales pitch. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That's, that's going to be an instant bestseller. You know, we'll see. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's going to be right or wrong. We'll find out. But boy, we all need help. I, I, it's kind of surprising to me. So I kept bumping into these companies and they're like, we're really struggling with the sales pitch thing. And I was like, well, there must be a book I could just point people at and say, here's how you build a good sales pitch. And there just isn't one. I'm actually really surprised at that. And so I had been using a sales pitch structure that I learned, I, well, the, the first company I worked at that had a sales pitch structure was IBM. Yeah. And so if you built a sales pitch at IBM, they had a way to do it. The problem with that structure was that, you know, a lot of it was oriented towards the way we sold at IBM and the kind of stuff we sold at IBM. So big, big, big deals, super long sales cycles, super complex things. So when I left IBM and I went to the next startup, I kind of cherry picked bits and pieces of that IBM sales structure and built a structure and then, you know, from company to company, I kind of worked with an evolving sales pitch structure from that point forward to sort of take the positioning and then translate it into a sales pitch. So that's what the next book is going to be, because I think most people don't actually know how to do a structured sales pitch. So I think that would be a helpful thing to teach people. I think it will be 
immensely helpful because I, you know, I've worked with four software companies my whole life and I, I know the problem with the sales pitch. I know exactly. And it's just, well, let's start with a demo. You know, <laughs> no, <laughs> I think there's a tendency to say, well, the product can sell itself. Right. And, and in some cases, that's actually true. But I think if the product was capable of selling itself, like maybe you don't need salespeople and maybe you should just do product led growth and maybe you know, yeah. <laughs> call yeah. it a day. Yeah. But in most cases, if what we've got is a higher ticket purchase, it's a deeply considered purchase, it's complicated enough that we actually need a salesperson involved then I don't need to just see the product. If I'm a customer, what I actually need to understand is when you're showing me these features, what's the value of these features? Absolutely. And does everyone have these features or do you, is it only you that has these features? And, and again, I got a short list of alternatives. Why pick you? over everybody else. And a product walkthrough doesn't answer those questions. No, no, nor does having a great positioning. You gotta be able to sell it, right? There, there's gotta that. be a pitch, right? Like we have to be able to paint a picture of the market and our place in it, you know, which is deeply informed by our positioning, but, uh, but we need to put it in a form that a sales rep can yeah. use in a conversation with absolutely. a customer. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm gonna get on the wait list. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Aprildunford.com. There's a tab that says books. You yeah. go in there, you get on the early list. I'm going to send you an email when that thing comes out. Excellent. Yeah. So <laughs> so let's talk about how people do uh, connect with you. You've got your website, which has yeah. uh, quite a bit. You've got your blog on there. Yeah. You know, I these days I'm I'm spending a lot of time on LinkedIn. I used to spend a lot of time on Twitter and I had a really active engaged following on Twitter. But these days the engagement on Twitter is not what it used to be. Hmm. Things have changed over yeah, there. Sure. And so I've uh I've recommitted myself to LinkedIn. And so if you want to follow my juicy tidbits, LinkedIn's we'll a good do. place to find me. Yeah, yeah. I know I personally started a LinkedIn newsletter as well, just um I've done three of them, trying to do it weekly. It's it's been a great way to connect with people. So I, it's a nice choice of platform, and I'm definitely definitely following you. you see, here, so maybe I do a podcast too. You know, <laughs> yeah, huh? I'm a guest on a lot of podcasts, but maybe I maybe I need to have my own jam there. Yeah, you should, uh, but it takes time. Yeah, I don't know how you're going to do sales pitch consulting and, and along with everything else you're doing, but uh, positioning consulting, and you're going to be busy. Yeah. Good. I am busy, but busy's good. Busy's good. Busy's good. Well, April, it's been fun. What did we not talk about? I wouldn't hate for you to kind of we'll hang up and you say, oh, we missed something. Did we miss No, anything? man, we covered it. Old book, new book, all this stuff. No, I think we covered it. <laughs> it was a lot it's of fun. Good. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Thanks for coming. It's my pleasure. I'm really grateful that, that we connected and you were able to join us. So have a great week ahead and, and let's keep in touch, especially as you get closer to your, your new book. I'd love to love to have you back on the podcast sure, and I'll talk about the book. And we'll, I'll come back and we'll do deep dive on the new book. Thanks so much for having me. Definitely. I think we'll both relate to it. You bet, April. And to everybody out there listening, wasn't that fun? I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. There's really something here. Go dig in. Check out aprildumford.com. We'll have links in the show notes for you so you can find it. And uh, follow her on LinkedIn. We'll have information on that as well. Take care, everybody. Uh, have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.